We're in Colossians 3, 18 uh, through chapter 4, verse 6. So let's just read it again real quick so we can get refreshness because uh, we went through most of the questions as we dug in. So let's see. Colossians 3, verse 18 to 4, 6. 318, 318. Says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not revoke, provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you, have, you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am a prisoner, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the signs. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how one, how you ought to answer each person. That's kind of where we left off at. Uh, the last time I thought. So we're going to look at some of the culture and like the gospel that we can see in these verses that we just read, right? <clears throat> so Colossians 3.18 through 4.1, it's attracted like its own fair share of criticism, you know, especially in our post-Christian, post-modern, like West type of thinking and society that we live in. You know, a lot of critics will belittle Paul as like a misogynist, you know, someone who just hates women or as a racist, who if he were like alive today, he would have been like all good with slavery, you know? Um, but both both of these ways of looking at it, they're not looking at all the scripture, first of all, they're not understanding who Paul is or what he's saying here. You know, these, these caricatures just fail to understand Paul at all. So Paul wasn't like a social revolutionary, you know, <laughs> he was just an apostle of the gospel. That was his main purpose, his main mission, right? He knew that the way to change less than ideal elements of the prevailing culture was not to attempt to enforce God's ways politically, you know, which for the numerically insignificant house churches that, um, that were going around in Paul's days, would have been impossible to do really anyway. But he was rather, he knew that it took like a genuine and lasting change. He knew that that alone would come through that inward transformation of the individual's hearts. So the gospel, the gospel provide, provided us with its gift of the spirit and the new heart. That's what the gospel did. So like invisible leaven that we would not see inside a batch of dough, the gospel works quietly within each and every believer. You know, it brings about healing. It brings about transformed lives. It, it recreates people who seek to cultivate God's just and benevolent ways. 
And sometimes this is overlooked, you know, the, the abolition of the slavery in the 19th century, it actually came about due to, um, due to concerned Christians. Really, we don't really see that. They don't talk about it much. But it was concerned Christians who labored tirelessly on behalf of those that were oppressed. You know, women's rights flowered in the 20th century in the West because of the strongly held democratic idea of equality. You know, and this concept is ultimately originating from Genesis 1, you know, where it's teachings that every individual is inherently valuable because we're all created and made into the image of God. This is what led to a lot of this stuff going on. So we see this here. It's all about the gospel, right? Um, some other things that we see in these passages that we can connect through the scriptures is this this thing called the inheritance, right? So the word inheritance in, in Colossians 3, verse 24, it resonates with a deep, like, Old Testament overtone. You know, it provides us a window into the church's future. Um, Paul grounds his exhortation to household slaves who normally would not inherit anything from the father when the father of the household died, you know, with this promise that they would receive the inheritance as a recompense for faithful service to Christ, right? So this word inheritance, it first occurred in Colossians 1, 12 to 13, when we read way earlier in our study when we started it. Uh, it refers to the everlasting kingdom of God, right, if you guys remember. In the Old Testament, inheritance referred to the allotments, the allotments of property that was given to each family, of the 12 tribes of Israel at the time. <clears throat> and within that was the promised land. So in the New Testament, though, this language is picked up and it's, it's more reverent, re referring and extended to encompass the entire world now and it's it's encompassing that that promise of the new creation it's no longer just like a piece of land that goes to a tribe so from this perspective the promised land in the old testament offers a prefiguration of the believer's ultimate future inheritance which will be the new heavens and the new earth <clears throat> another thing that we can see also is prayer prayers seen a lot in in paul's uh writings but just here, Paul urges Christians to cultivate, you know, a regular prayer life, Colossians 4.2. It gives us that, that sweet communion with our Heavenly Father, right? And it's at the very heart of what Christ purchased for us, you know, with his own blood. He died to restore that intimate relationship between God and his people. Now, some people view prayer as a duty rather than a delight. I understand that prayer is commanded of us. Right, of course it is. And so in a sense it is a duty, in one sense it is. Right. But it's it's kind of like me telling you, Hey, here's a here's your favorite dessert dessert, you know, whatever you like the most, go ahead and have at it and enjoy it as much as you want, right? So Paul commands us to pursue what our souls long for, you know, and, and that should be an ever deepening relationship with the soul satisfying God that we now know. You know, no one or nothing else is ever going to really satisfy us, not in, in any way that God could. You know, yet people waste years of searching in vain for something that will quench their thirst, that's going to quench that eternal longing we have, that's going to quench the desires that we have. When I think it would just be much better if we, you know, 
pursued relentlessly to enjoy God's presence instead of all these other external things and have that soul-satisfying communion with God alone. That's the only thing that's really going to satisfy us. Um, so let's, we're going to dig into the next part of it, which is going to be like the ending, right? The final instructions is going to be uh, chapter 4, 7 to 18. 7 to 18. Oops. There we go. All right, so most of the written letters, a real quick cap overview of everything before we dig in. Most written letters, both in ancient times and today, you know, they're going to have a standard structure, you know, some kind of element to them. Paul's letters to the Colossians is no different. He introduced himself to Timothy, or he introduced himself and Timothy. He greeted the Colossians as faithful. You know, he thanked God for them, and then he went on to pray for them. We see that in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. He then goes on, the second part is, is when he gets into the body of the letter. Here the apostle exalted the preeminence of the Son of, of the Christ in the Christ hymn. He unleashed it as like an ammunition against the lethal false teachers that were going around in Colossians at that time. And that was Colossians 1, verses 15 to chapter 2, verses 23. You know, and then it goes on to the third part, which was that um, after the refutation of the false teachers, you know, Paul continues to exhort the assembly, and he, he tries to get them to focus fully on the resurrected and reigning Christ above, and to live in light of that reality of who Christ is. And we've seen that in chapters 3 to 4, 6, which is kind of where we just ended. So finally, having completed his argument and his exhortation, Paul concludes the letter. He's going to pass on greetings and some final instructions. And that's what we're going to focus on today a little bit. So Colossians 4, 7 to 18. <coughs> All right, let's read it real quick. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, one sinless, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aneropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church to the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. 
Remember my chains, grace be with you. So we see here, we see Tychicus, not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but that's how I kind of see it. He's like this letter carrier, right? And apostolic delegate with one, one Simus. So back then they didn't have like a postal service or anything available, right? So Paul sends Tychicus as the bearer of the letters. And I think he also carried letters to the Ephesians and to Philemon as well. Um, in Ephesians 6, verse 21 and 22, it says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So it seems like Tychicus has been a faithful colleague for some time of Paul's, right? And we can also see in um, Acts 20, verse 4, we can see this. It says, Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, Pyrrhus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus, Tychicus, and Trophimus. So we can also see it in like Titus 3.12. He says, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. I've decided to spend the winter there. And then Second uh, Timothy 4.12 talks about Tychicus also, where it says, I have sent him to Ephesus. So when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carthus at Trous and also the books and above all the parchment. So he, Tychicus, would read the letters aloud to the assembled house church, right? He would be filling out the instructions as the, and, and answering any questions as they would arise. You know, Paul wanted to ensure that the Colossians gave Tychicus a respectful hearing. And this is why he provided Tychicus with the three honorable titles that we read, where he says, he is my beloved brother, he is a faithful minister, and he is a fellow servant in the Lord. So here's a question for you guys. What are the explicit reasons that Paul gives for sending Tychicus to the church with the letter? I'm going to give you, we're going to read a few more scriptures. I'm going to read Colossians 2, 1 to 2 to compare it with Colossians 4, 7 through 9, which we just read. And then you guys can answer. So explicit reasons Paul gives for sending Tychicus. In Colossians 2, 1 to 2, it says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being mixed together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. So what do you guys think was Paul's explicit reasons for sending things? I mean, I know there's some obvious ones in there too. I think that one of the one of the things is that to remember is that Paul was in prison, and so um, I think he knowing knowing Paul and his writings, Paul was a churchman and he loved the church. Um, he was not a lone ranger, even when he was in prison, he still loved the church, and I think that he just wanted to know what's going on. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like sending a, like a delegate or a messenger to find out for yourself. You know, this is, these are the people who are congregating. 
maybe maybe um, this is what's going on in the uh, in the in the time of gathering. Um, maybe you know these are the people who are leading. You know, right? You know, somebody who gives you some deeper information, microscopic level information, right? Not just oh, the church exists somewhere out there in Colossae, but actually, um, you know, uh, you know that's like any. I think almost anybody would. You know, we hear of, if we know of a brother in Christ or a church. And we want to know, you know, um, we want to know, you know, how they're doing, you know, what's going on. Is the church doing well? Is it healthy? Is it growing? Is there issues? And that thing, that's just the love of the church. And I think he loved the church and he wanted, um, he wanted to know firsthand what's really going on um, with my brothers in Christ over there. Not just kind of send a letter and be like, well, you know, they got the letter and just let them figure that out. But, you know, he actually loved them. Yeah, that's a great point, brother, because <clears throat> I don't know how many times, like me being in jail a lot, you know, you get letters from people, you know, they're not telling you what's going on because they don't need you stressing out while you're in there, you know? So who knows if what's in the letter is just not him being encouraging. When somebody actually comes and they're like, oh, I've seen him, you know, he's in chains, this is what's really going on. It's just, it's just more comforting and more encouraging to you to go, wow, man, he sent this guy so we know that, hey, he really is praying for us in there. He's in bondage, you know. He still loves the church. He's wishing he was here with us. You know, there's nothing like that face-to-face, -face, like, dialogue. You know, like you said, that's way better than any letter ever. So, yeah. Anybody else want to add anything else? Let me add one more thing. Just um, one, of the, one of the things is, because it works both ways, right? So, uh, you know, to find out how Paul's doing and then also find out how the church is doing. And, and there is a, and I think there is a difference, um, and that just goes, to, again, just the love of the church, you know, how, how we express ourselves, but there is a, there is a, a lot of times, for example, when, when somebody asks you how you, how you're doing, usually you just say, I'm doing all right. And that's usually their response because we don't have, you know, we don't, we don't really, we don't know how much time they got. If you really want to know how I'm doing, you better, you know, just go get coffee. Right. And, and. And a lot of times when you send somebody and they spend time in the church with the people um, or with the, or in this case with Paul, the prisoner, you get detailed information that he wouldn't say otherwise. And he probably wouldn't say over a letter um, because like you said, not to worry the church or vice versa. And so they bring it, bring the news firsthand saying, you know what, Paul is doing all right. However, he probably needs some books. He probably needs a cloak. He probably needs some food. Um, or vice versa, you know, the church, um, he, he informed the church may, may say, you know what, Paul, we're doing good. And then he comes back and say, you know what, the leaders are having problems or uh, there's chaos or whatever. And you need to pray for this specific issue. Um, so I think, I think that's a really good thing. And, and I just think that's just our, our lack of, um, uh, how do you want to say, uh, um, I think because of the the, uh, the fastness of our lives, we really don't sometimes truly, sincerely care about the other people as much as we should. So we don't give the time. Like we just say, you know, hopefully everything's going good and then just um, until there's a crisis and I'll talk to you or something, you know. And, and the church shouldn't be like that. You know, we should, we should try to make the time to, to really find out how the church is doing or how the brother... Um, and so-and-so place is doing. Um, but, you know, that's just, we, have, we haven't arrived. Like I said on Sunday, we, we still got room to grow. Um, 
a lot of us, you know, all of us. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Before I go down a little rabbit trail on that one, anybody else want to add anything? Okay, quick rabbit trail then. Um, it's funny because you think about in those days, he probably had to walk miles just to bring these letters back and forth in this news. You know, and they found time to go walk those miles and to be with each other, to be the church. And we have a phone and we can very easily call our brother and be like, hey brother, how you been? How's everything going? We can do like a Zoom call. We can do a face-to-face -face call. And yet it seems like nowadays we have less time for each other. So it's just sad, bro. Like technology is getting us away from the things that are important. We're so consumed with consuming that we forget to stop and care for our brother and sister or just take that moment, you know, to like say something. So just a little rabbit trail. But cause that, that was really true what you said. Cause back in these days, you know, it wasn't like that. They, they couldn't just be there right away. They had to walk everywhere and like, but still they took that time. So, and then like the jails, I'm sure the jails weren't like they are here. They probably didn't get three hots in a cot. You know, if people didn't bring them food, they might not eat that day. You know, that's why they were allowed to have people come visit them to bring them stuff. You know, he asked for his cloak. He asked for his parchment. He asked for his stuff. Obviously he wouldn't have anything if the brothers and sisters didn't walk, you know, whatever miles of well to bring them stuff. All right, let's keep going then. Okay, now at the end of Colossians 4, 7 to 9, Paul intentionally mentioned um, one Simus, one Simeus, one Simus. And he is the runaway slave that is turned into a faithful Christian with whom Paul's companion letter to Philemon, which we're going to dig into after we get done with Colossians, because that's the letter that goes with it, is concerned. So I think he brought this up at this point for that reason, because he was going to be writing that letter probably to Philemon. But how do you guys think Paul's description of one sentence in, in Colossians 4.9 would prepare the way for a sympathetic hearing of Paul's letter to Philemon, which is which is uh, one Simus's slighted owner. So he left. We'll get into that later. But he basically stole some money from him and kind of ran away. We read it earlier. I don't know if you guys remember in Colossians when he met him in prison and turned into like the faithful servant. So the question was, how might Paul's description of one Simus Prepare the way for a sympathetic hearing of Paul's letter to Philemon, which was the owner of one sentence who was a slave. So Colossians 4.9, just to recap, it says, And with him, one sentence, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, how do you guys think that would prepare the way for Philemon? Probably by describing him as faithful and beloved, like maybe he was not faithful before. So it would speak of like his changed character. And since Paul is the one um, 
like speaking on his behalf and his words have weight, that would probably soften people's heart toward this person because they're like, oh, well, if Paul, if Paul thinks that he is faithful, then we're going to be able to trust him also. And maybe that's what helped them to have a, a more sympathetic view toward him. Yep. That's actually perfect. Uh, anybody want to add anything else? Yeah, I'll add something. Um, so if you, if you, just something I saw right now, right now, Bradley was saying about the way, the way that he's faithful. So uh, the, the, so if you look at Tychicus and Onesimus, the both of them, um, you know, t uh, being a messenger, maybe we don't really consider it that much of a noble job, but that you have to trust that person like that. You, you know, that has to be a quality person. You're not going to just send anybody like, Oh, just tell me how everything's going. And this person who's unreliable, um, and this person, you know, so they had, this person was worthy of being a messenger. And sometimes these, these lower, I'm going to put quote unquote lower, um, roles. We, we look past, um, um, but, but in reality, these were huge things. This was not a small thing. This was a, this was a big thing. And, um, and so it says faithful servant and fellow bond servant. So the description of Tychicus and of Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of, one of our number, Paul is saying, you know what? Right with, with Paul's words, I think what I would, if I was reading this, I would say, you know what? Don't hold anything, don't hold anything against him. Um, uh, he's one of us now. And again, that's something we, 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 um, we I think we lack. Um, we, we hold these things over people. Um, you know, if they make a mistake in the, in the past and we hold the mistake over for all their lives. And um, that's ungodly, um, extremely ungodly, because uh, this, God doesn't hold the sins over us. So why should we hold it over other people? And, uh, and if they truly haven't repented, well, that's between them and God anyways. So, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't hover sins over people um, lest we be um, haunted by our own sins, you know, which would be the horrific thing. Um, so, yeah, so I just think the description of he's one of us, um, I think that's a, a, a um, and that's a beautiful thing. He's, you know, he's, he's taking them in um, uh, and saying, you know, even though he defrauded, he was whatever he did, he didn't, he didn't do good things. But for Paul, like, like Raleigh was saying, for Paul's words, for Paul to vouch for him is, 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 is given the right hand of fellowship to this man. Um, the church should not, um, you know, they, they should not think twice about it. So I think that's, it, it's a change of relationship there. So I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, perfect. Anybody else? I had a little bit, because I like what you said at the end there, that change of relationship, right? Because <clears throat> he was a slave, you know? He ran away. So he, he was a slave. Now he's your brother. Hey, that's a big change of relationship, you know? So, so that's just something to keep in mind because now he's he's part of the body of Christ. He's a fellow faithful servant. So, yeah, I think what you guys said is perfect. When he goes back with that, you know, and Paul's like, okay, and him, and like, it's definitely going to have him, Philemon is going to have to look at him a little differently than just slave and owner type deal. All right, let's keep going then. 
the next uh, verses 10 to 11. The theological and temporal, temporal priority in God's plan of redemption was that the gospel would first go to his covenant people, right? To Israel, to the Jews. Uh, we can see that in Matthew 10, 5 to 6, where it says, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and then turn no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, Matthew 15, 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So they would go to Israel first. And then, after that, to the Gentiles. And we see that in Acts 13, 46 and 47 says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, Acts 18, verses 5 to 6 says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Uh, Acts 28, verse 28 says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Uh, Romans 1.16 tells us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. So initially, that, that messianic movement within Judaism, um, you know, the Christian faith quickly spread and became predominantly Gentile and its adherents. So most of the people that were following, listening, and believing were Gentiles. And the Jews kind of had a lot of resistance, you know, that, that arose against that movement from the beginning. <clears throat> um, the Jews also were opponents. They harassed Paul throughout his missionary journeys. You know, examples of this are going to be found in the scriptures a lot. So I'm going to read a bunch of these, the opposition that Paul went through. I want you guys to keep in mind a question that we're going to try to answer at the end of it. So thinking about all this opposition, the question is going to be, how might faithful Jewish Christian colleagues be a comfort to the imprisoned Paul? So how might faithful Jewish Christian colleagues be a comfort to the imprisoned Paul? So let's read some of the opposition he was getting from the Jews at that time. Acts 9 verses 19 to 25 says taking food he was strengthened for some days he was with the disciples at damascus immediately he proclaimed jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of god and all who heard him were amazed and said is not this the man who made havoc in jerusalem of those who called upon this name has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests but saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gate day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Also, Acts 13, 44 to 45, Acts 13, 44 to 45 says, The next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Acts 14, verses 1 to 7. This is now at Iconium, so Acts 14, 1 to 7. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Acts 17, verses 1 to 5. Acts 17, 1 to 5. So now when they had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rubble, rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Acts 18, 5-6, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent, for now I will go to the Gentiles. Acts 18, verse 12, when Gallio was pro-council of Acacia, Achai, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Acts 20, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Acts 21, 27 to 32 says, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help, for this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Acts 23, 12-15, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by enough to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you. 
as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes here. So thinking of all this, this background and all this stuff that's going on, this is all an act, right? Let's answer that question. How might faithful Jewish Christian colleagues be a comfort to the imprisoned apostles? Which, by the way, was verse 11 that we've been reading. It says, and Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Colossians 4, 11. I think that since, since there were so few, um, <laughs> like right now, um, you know, I think that if I was to find a believing Jew right now, um, I would be pretty amazed. Um, uh, I know there is, but not as many as Gentiles. And so I think that just, just the fact that there's a converted Jew and that's not opposing Paul or, or trying to persecute him. Because uh, remember, they, they were persecuting the Christians. Make sure we understand that. You know, they, they don't want, the Jews don't like saying that, but that's, that's the truth. The Jews were persecuting, the, it was Jews. And so, um, uh, um, I was going to go off on, on a rabbit trailer, but yeah. And so, um, I think just the fact that, that they weren't trying to kill him, you know, you know, you know, that's what he used to do. Um, and so just the fact that there's actually converted, you know, and that was Paul's heart. He said, my heart is for my people, right? You know, and you see this in Romans, you know, he wanted the salvation of Israel. That's what he wanted, but you know, they didn't want it. So he didn't get stuck there, right? He was a messenger for the Gentiles. He said, well, you don't want it. Fine. I'm going to go to those who want. And, um, but still his heart was there. And, and I think it's kind of like, if I was to, if I was to put something in our context to contextualize it, so, you, so we understand it better. It's kind of like, if we hear of our own relatives coming to the Lord, right? We would be very excited. And so, but at the same time, we're not going to just be subject to only preaching the gospel in our own home, right? And so we do preach the gospel in our home. We should. And it would be exciting if, if, if son, daughter, mother, wife, husband, everybody came to the Lord. That would be extremely exciting. However, you know, that's not the, that's not the end of all the gospel, right? That's, that's where it starts in your home, but then you got to go out you know, and if, if they don't, if, if, if the household doesn't want it, well, there's going to be another household who does want it. And so I think that's just to contextualize um, our and parallel to something more current. But yeah, so I think it's just exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those, like you said, those were like his people, you know, that's what he grew up around. So, and to have, you know, he said, these are faithful Jews. So, and they're working with him in the gospel, like, so that would definitely be a comfort to me to be like, right, I got at least a few of my guys from back in the day, like my homeboys or something like that, you know, that aren't lost and aren't just going to be rejecting and trying to kill me, but they actually do still love me and they're over here helping me out and we're spreading the news. Anybody else want to add anything? Maybe he was encouraged because 
you know, um, as a Jewish man, like with titles and all of those different things, um, maybe he felt encouraged that other Jewish men were also willing to, to reject those same titles that he didn't care. He no longer cared about. And when, and instead putting on the label of Christian and what, and everything that that comes with, like he probably felt like a form of solidarity with them because they, they knew what it was like to be rejected by their families and to be thrown out of their synagogues and all those things. So there were things that, that they were all able to relate with one another. And that probably brought him some encouragement that he wasn't the only one being imprisoned by his people and that he wasn't the only one trying to be murdered by the people that, um, that he loved and that he knew and that he was raised with or raised the same as because these Jewish people believed that they knew the real God. And so that's why they attacked Christians. Um, and that's why they, and that's why they attacked Christians and like, and so since they were not, since they were on the receiving end of that, along with Paul, maybe a different like instances that brought them up, that brought him probably some form of com comfort. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. Anybody else? Yeah, it's always comforting too to know somebody, like like I said, maybe like somebody you grew up with, that you guys kind of went through the same struggles, through the same thing, you know, the same lifestyle to have them backing you up when you're on like the whole other side of the fence kind of deal. Cause this was like contrary to all their beliefs, you know, they were all puffed up and they were still waiting on the Messiah. They didn't. So for them, this was like blasphemy for them to come and be faithful brothers that you know, definitely comforting. I would assume it would be comforting to me. So let's keep going then. <clears throat> so God called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles right? Acts 9.15 says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Uh, Galatians 2 verse 8 says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine the Gentiles. So the Lord used them in a, in a mighty way to plant churches throughout the Roman Empire. Right? Over time, these Gentile converts were short, matured enough so that, that some of them were, were so dedicated to the cause that Paul had enlisted them to, to be his colleagues. So we can see that um, in Epaphras. Epaphras was one of those colleagues. Um, We're going to ask a question here. Based on some of the readings I'm going to give you, and we're going to go over Colossians 1, 7 to 8. We're going to go Colossians 4, 12 to 13, and Philemon 23. I want you guys to try to piece together what Epaphras' role and what his significance is. All right? So piece together Epaphras' role and significance. So think about that. What's his role? What's his significance as I read these scriptures? So Colossians 1, 7 to 8, it says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, 
for he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Colossians 4, 12 to 13 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Aeropolis. And then Philemon 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So what do you guys see in there as his role and his significance? You guys want to look at the scripture again. Colossians 1, 7 to 8. Colossians 4, 12 to 13. And Philemon 23. That he was always praying his significance or the things that he did was that he was always praying that those people would stand perfect and fully assured in all of the will of God. So that was like a form of his labor for them. Yeah, that's one thing, for sure. Prayer warrior <laughs> as a servant of Christ. What else do you guys see as his role and his significance? I think that one of the, one of the areas uh, as Paul, oh, this is one of the things I like about Paul. So Paul, he mentions uh, a lot of different people, right? In, especially here, in this, the final greetings um, and the final instructions. Usually in all his letters, especially like Romans um, uh, uh, 16. Uh, so he gives a list of men and women. And this is what, this is one thing I love about Paul, especially about his right is that Paul, um, acknowledged the nobodies in a sense. And, and so, and I, and for example, Epaphras, nobody ever preaches really about Epaphras. Nobody ever really says has an Epaphras conference or an Epaphras book or an Epaphras, a song, right. You know, uh, it, you know, it, it, you don't really hear, you hear everybody talk about, king david right or or you know you all these prominent figures of scripture like the apostle paul the disciples the super apostles whatever you want to call them and so which is good whatever we should honor them i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that but there's these people uh, like those 70 disciples that were sent out um you know and that nobody knows their name but i just think that that's the most wonderful people to be in a sense because there is no room for pride in the sense like you're not you're just serving God. Um, you're not, they're not getting acknowledged by anybody really. And, but yet his role was significant. You know, he was, you know, if you read, if you read about him, you, you probably say, man, I wish I would have met Epaphras, right? You know, I wish I would have met this guy. I bet he was a, a servant of the Lord. And I'm sure Paul even learned from him. Uh, I'm sure that he taught people uh, through his example. Cause when it says in verse seven, uh, just as you learned it from Epaphras, so he had to have been somebody who lives out the gospel, right? He, he, could, he was not like a secret disciple, right? He, he, was, he was an active servant of the Lord. Uh, maybe he wasn't the best preacher. Maybe he wasn't even a preacher. Maybe he wasn't the best evangelist. Maybe he wasn't the best of anything. He was just what God calls us to be, a faithful servant of the Lord, right? And, and that's what we forget. Like, that's why I like when Paul names these people, whether the men or women, and he just says they're fellow workers. And we just run by it like, okay, well, 
or, or, or fellow uh, prisoners um, or fellow bond servants, but he's saying they're just, we're the same. And, 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 but we're, we're just not understanding it that way. But, you know, this is my fellow uh, believer, you know, and he's putting them up to his par in the sense of, uh, of saying, you know, they're, they're worthy to be acknowledged. Um, and I, I think that that's just noble of Paul. I mean, I don't think he did it because trying to be trying to be noble. I just think he did it because that's who he is. Um, but this, the, the, but these people like Epaphras, um, I would say, you know, there's a lot of those in, in the churches around us, you know, uh, um, that are not seeking to be an author or to be a conference speaker or to be, a uh, on the next billboard of, of, you know, Mr. Mr. Christian of the year. They're just trying to be faithful, you know, because you get it. You know, at the end of the day, God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it, right? That, that, that's, what we're, that's what gets you in is, 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 the, is, your, is, your, is your acknowledgement that he is Christ the Lord. Your salvation is what matters. And he just is good and faithful, right? He doesn't say well-known, um, you know, well-quoted, um, most books sold, uh, and, and so, you know, and, and that's something that we, cause we elevate these people too high. And I think that we don't, and, and we miss these epaphras, um, uh, or a lot of these other ones that we just mentioned, uh, that are faithful people of the Lord. Um, but I think it's just, again, it's just awesome to see them stand out that Paul brings them out and, and we read, we read right through it. Like, ah, eh, you know, it's just, you know, they're all right, but Paul's better. You know, it's not, it's not like that. You know, they were, it's just, Paul was never better than anybody. Yes, that he was used in a mighty way. Yes, but that's not because of him. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, that's, that's God's will. Not, not that Paul said, you know what? I'm going to be the greatest evangelist. No, he, you know, dude, this guy was persecuting the Christians, you know? And so, uh, you know, I just, again, I just think it's awesome to hear um, of the nobodies, um, you know, being acknowledged. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what did Jesus say? You want to be the greatest, you must be the least among your brother, brothers, right? I think we lost, we lost focus of that. We lost like that. It seems like that's not even part of the scriptures, the way we live, you know, a lot of times. So, yeah. Anybody else want to add anything? Okay, so yeah, three-point sermon for you guys. First, he was faithful minister of Christ, right? Fellow servant. Uh, number two, he was a prayer warrior, a servant of Christ again. And the third point, prisoner of Christ Jesus, who was a messenger going back and forth, bringing the news to the churches and to Paul. So there you go. Epaphras, you can preach on him now. <laughs> All right, let's keep going then real quick because it's starting to get late. Uh, Colossians 4, 15 to 16. These are instructions concerning the church at Laodicea. It says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodicea. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So here we see Paul giving these final instructions to the church at Colossus. He wishes to ensure that the churches at both Colossus and Laodicea remain firm in the faith. 
you know, we can compare that to Colossians 2.1, where he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So a quick question, list some of the actions that Paul commands the Colossian church to take and how might each action help to ensure that both of the churches are gonna to continue to stand firm. So list some actions that Paul commands the Colossians churches to take that we've been reading and how might those actions ensure that both churches, Laodicea and Colossians stand firm. <laughs> I throw you guys off with that one or what? I'll give you some. All right. So first, Paul tells them to greet them in his name. And then he tells them to read the letters that they just read, you know, and also the letter that comes from the opposite church. So the same letter, Colossians and Laodicea, to be read to both churches. I believe that's going to help, you know, for the churches to stand firm by putting the focus on Christ, which is what the main thing of the letter of Colossians was, right? Keep your focus on Christ and what he has done for us. You know, it's also going to help them focus on who they are in Christ, you know, as we are brothers, fellow servants. Um, again, he puts to rest all those false teachings. We've seen that at the beginning of Colossians. And then I think just reminding them how to live uh, as Christians, it's going to be encouraging, and that's going to help them to stand firm. You guys got anything else you might want to add? Yeah, uh, just a couple of things. The in regards, your question was just repeat the question because I, I was going based on your question. Okay, so some of the actions that Paul commands the Colossians okay. Church to take, and how might those actions? help to ensure that both of the churches, Laodicea and Colossians, how will that ensure that they stand firm on their faith? Okay. Yeah, okay, so a couple of things that I saw here and uh, that you mentioned, uh, you mentioned one here is, is the public reading of scripture. Okay, so it says, the uh, verse 16, when this letter, not if, when, okay, so they're assuming that they're gonna read this publicly, right? When this letter is read among you, Okay, so this is an important thing here because this is the public reading of scripture. This is the part that a lot of people find boring and, and, and they don't understand the power of scripture. And so when we read the Bible, like for example, every Wednesday I read a whole Psalm and literally every Wednesday. And so if, if it's Psalm 119, once a year, you know that we're going to go through the whole thing for those of you that have traveled along. And so the public reading of scripture is the proper way of doing it. And so we, we must understand that that th this, this is an ordinance of God. Um, and so um, I, I think that this would help their fidelity because the, it, it wasn't, we have to understand that the letter was not just read once and put on a shelf and then everybody just, okay, guys, let's go figure things out, right? No, it's not like, it's like, it's like Christians in the Bible nowadays. It's just, they, you know, they go to church, they open and they put it on the shelf all week and they pick it back up on Sunday. That's not the way it ought to be. And so the letter becomes part of their life. The letter is like, okay, these are the instructions and that we ought to, this is how we, and that's why they would 
they were scribes, right? They would copy it and so forth, and they would spread it out. And that's why we have multiple um, um, fragments of, of papyri because of, 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 the, of the copy, because they're like, oh, so-and-so wants his letter, so we need to copy it. Because there was something divine about it, because it is divine. And um, so I think the public reading of scripture, and another thing I caught was in verse, um, uh, verse 17, where it says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. All right, pay attention to what God has called you to do to fulfill it, right? And, you know, make sure that you don't go fulfill something else. And, you know, um, and this, you know, I could fit in a, a quote, I mean, a verse from the Gospels, you know, what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, right? If the aim, in, if the aim of your life is, is, to, is to fulfill the me, myself, and I will, well, you're going to end up forfeiting your soul. What do you accomplish at the end? Absolutely nothing. And so make sure that we fulfill what God has called us to do, to be faithful unto him and, and to do what, whatever task um, that he wants us to do. Um, and, and I like how Anthony mentioned the two churches. So he, he said Laodicea um, and the church of Colossae, right? You said, uh, and so we have to, we have, we have to understand this, that we have the end of Laodicea. All right. And so it is important that we remember this in revelation chapter three, we have the seven churches and we know the end of Laodicea, and it was not good. In fact, that's where we get the most, one of the most um, uh, um, powerful verses of, you know, because you are lukewarm, right? I'm going to vomit you out, God said. So obviously Laodicea did not keep to the word. And so the church of Colossae did. And so there is, at the end of the day, you know, he goes, man, I have found basically the way you're living is not according to the way I asked you to live, Laodicea. Therefore, repent, right? You know, you know, go back, stop, stop doing what you're doing and get right. And, and so God gives us the word, but at the end of the day, there is going to be a different fate for everybody. You know, those who heed the word and those who don't heed the word. And, um, and so that's why it's important to understand that, um, you know, these are not, these are not some sort of foreign um, abstract things that we just, oh, these are nice things to know about. No, this is reality. You know, this is life and death at the end of the day. Um, and so it's just important that we see uh, Laodicea. We know the end. So remember that. You want to know what, what happened at the end. We'll read Je- Revelation chapter 3, right? And, and you see the seven churches. And you'll see it's not hidden, right? You know, um, and so, and what happened is, you know, when, when you're, when, and, well, I mean, there's a list of things that we can, we can go through. But, um, but the public reading of scripture is important. Um, and also um, fulfilling our ministry, uh, whatever that, whatever that may may be that we be faithful uh, unto the Lord. Uh, so, yeah. Great point. Anybody else want to add anything? <clears throat> and one more thing. Paul <laughs> says, remember, remember my imprisonment. So he goes, by the way, remember those who are in chains, right? Like Hebrews chapter 13. Remember the brothers and sisters who are in chains. Remember my, and in fact, don't forget that I'm, that I'm over here in prison and you're over there in, 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 um, in the land of the free and the brave. Remember those who are in chains. Um, it's not just about our freedom, but it's, it's, about, um, it's about our brothers and sisters who are, don't have the freedom that we have. And that's an important thing. That's, um, as we remember them, we remember Jesus Christ. Remember that. Um, you know, because he, he's, they're there because of him. And so to remember our brothers in chains, 
is to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, let's keep going and see if we can finish this off before it gets too late. <clears throat> Paul gives instructions to a man named Archippus, right? Now, it, from reading it, it seems like Ar uh, Archippus is, is like a leader of a house church at Colossians. It says, uh, Colossians 4, 17, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. That's what he was just talking about. Uh, Philemon 2, and a Althea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So it seems like they had like this church going on at home. So a question, how might the instruction to Archippus help to ensure that the Colossian church will remain firm in their faith as well? <laughs> so how might the instruction to Archippus to fulfill the ministry that he received in the Lord how might that help and ensure the Colossian church to remain firm in their faith? Because faith, if you have faith, a faithful leadership in your church, then that will not guarantee that you're, that the people there are going to be like solid, but it will, it will, it will increase the chances of that happening. Like, if the leaders of your church genuinely love the Lord and care about sound doctrine and are faithful and are making disciples, then that is what, that's what, that is what is going to mold the culture of your church. Yep, definitely. They'll be grounded and rooted in the truth and in the gospel. So, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, you guys want to add? I don't think there's much you can really add to that. I was like on point. But you guys want to add anything? All right, let's finish it off. <clears throat> Paul's personal authentication of the letter and his final blessing in verse 18. So the first sentence within Colossians 4.18 seems to be a bit stranger when we first glance it because Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. So what do you guys think the apostle was doing here by stating that? I think, I think he's, he's not leaving room for doubt. Um, uh, you know, saying, where did this letter come from? How do we really know, right? You know, there's always those doubters. You know, why should we pay attention to Tychicus? Uh, why should we, you know, why should we pay, you know, and it's, and it's like, I'm sure, I'm sure the original uh, document did not look like our Bible, right? And so there was some sort of authentication to it. And so, um, and, and, and so it's, you know, him saying, I, Paul, is just um, assured the reader and, uh, and helps, and, and in God's divine sovereignty and, and providence, and helped piece the Bible together. So we make sure we have authentic, um, authentic pieces, um, because authentication is important, um, and especially in regards to revelation. Uh, so I think, I, you know, I think that was a, it was his, his seal. Yeah, amen, definitely. All right, another question then. Why do you think Paul asked 
the Colossians to remember him and his imprisonment. What do you guys think he's trying to elicit by saying stating this? I think as as Paul when as we remember as um, as the church remembers Paul, they're going to remember other other believers. Um, so to to know that Paul was in prison is to know that there's others also in prison, um, and to know that this is the fate of the Christian. It might be it might be death row, right? It, you know, Paul was on death row. Um, you know, we should say imprisonment, but he was in a Roman. Um, uh, what tradition says he was in a Roman prison and, and, um, and, and that meant not a good place to be, right? That's death row for a Christian. And so um, to remember that, I, I just think there's a whole uh, boatload of, of, of information in regards to remembering um, the, the, the reason why Paul's there, remembering what his imprisonment, um, why, why is Paul in prison, right, is an important thing to remember. Um, and, uh, and also what that means for us and what that could mean for us. Um, and so remember this, that as, as believers, um, you, know, um, you know, persecution is not something foreign for the believer. Um, so don't be surprised at the fury ordeal among you, right, as says Peter, right? Uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when somebody says, um, you know, you shouldn't have rights or you shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't be surprised, uh, although we are because, um, you know, we live in the land of the free and the brave and we think that that's going to protect us. And we're going to soon find out that it's not, um, you know, it, it, and if you haven't realized that by now, you'll realize it very soon. You know, we are the minority. And so um, we, we should not be surprised. All we have to do is turn on the TV or, I mean, not the TV, just turn on the news to other parts of the world. Um, uh, Christian news in regards to trying to find out what's going on and you'll see immediately that rights are not something um, that everybody has just because they bear the cross. Uh, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, uh, but you know, we're, we're um, the church is getting, um, uh, church is waking up to that reality. But yeah, so I think just remember the prisoners because we're probably going to be there too. Yeah, definitely. I think another thing is it would make me think, you know, like, hey, Christ is worth even this imprisonment, you know, like kind of what you were saying. That, yes, stay faithful to the truth, stay faithful to Christ, because he's even worth this, he's worth death. You know, I think that would be very encouraging. And who knows, maybe, maybe it could bring him some stuff. To Don't forget about me, I could use a burger kind of deal. Yeah, why not? You know, uh, you know, some clean socks wouldn't, you know, wouldn't <laughs> be too bad. And so I think also just remember, you know, maybe the Lord allows these things so the gospel can get into the prisons. Remember that, um, you know, there's a, you know, there's going to be a big prison ministry in the U.S. soon. You know, and, you know, we're just going to have to figure that out. You know, they're, they're going to be, you know, there's just, just the way it is, right? You know, there'll be a, a pretty good prison ministry. So, and there's a lot of room, room, uh, the, the harvest is, is plentiful in the prisons. Um, so Definitely. Um, I might drop that in there. 
One more question real quick. Uh, how do you think the church might obtain the grace that Paul speaks for them in his blessing? What was the question? So how do you think the church might obtain the grace that Paul seeks for them in his blessing? But at the end, he says, grace be with you. How do you think they can obtain that grace? Don't overthink it. I think he's just let's just let's just put the word in and switch the word. Christ be with you. <laughs> so yeah. you know, if Christ be with you, the grace is with you. Um, grace is the favor of God, so uh, unmerited favor, just to be correct. But so yeah, so it's if Christ is with you. Um, so when somebody says grace and peace, um, and not peace and love, that's another one. Grace and peace is to saying Christ be with you. Um, yeah. Peace and love is another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. You know, just stay in Christ. Grace is the free gift of Christ. So stay in Christ, you're going to receive that grace. You know, that's how they obtain it. And if they continue to abide in Christ, then they will eventually start producing that fruit. You know, they're going to have that peace and the joy that comes from God alone. Uh, I think we'll end it there, man. We'll go over some of the gospel glimpses we've seen through this and some more stuff, and then we'll we'll dig into Philemon, which is the letter that, that comes after it, and then we'll be done with those. Those are the two letters that go hand in hand, so we'll be done with those, and um, pray for me. I'm thinking of doing Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and there's another letter that goes with it. I can't remember right now. So, yeah. Any questions, any concerns, anything else you guys want to get out there? Any closing thoughts, anybody, before we pray out? Everybody's filled with the word that, they're, that they don't know how to digest it right now. That's how I'm taking it. All right. All right. Well, let's pray. And um, and uh, may the Lord help us again uh, to understand that these are eternal words and um, worthy to be worthy to meditate upon day by day. Um, but let's pray that uh, the Lord be with us and help us understand the scriptures more.